welcome to Fintech Insider. The world of wealth and asset management is changing, and more importantly, so is our relationship with money. The shift in wealth management from traditional models that are basis point based to subscription models uh, to simple click and play stock apps are becoming more and more common, and this shift isn't going to stop anytime soon. Apps like Acorns, Plum, Free Trade, Robinhood are loved by customers, and they're breaking up long term goals into daily bite sized chunks and behaviors. Customers are becoming more aware about how they save, with millennials especially conscious that growing their wealth does not need to endanger the world they live in. This is opening the door for sustainable investing concepts that hadn't really gained room. Maybe now they will. Older generations are living longer, but retiring at similar ages, meaning their pensions need to stretch for longer periods of time. Women, who typically live longer than men, and often take time out of their careers for parental reasons, are forced into the same pension buckets as men to this day in 2019. Of course, we mustn't forget that alongside the lack of servicing for these various demographics, we live in a world where money and mental health are intrinsically linked. We, the makers of these services, must do more to recognize the impact that money has on mental health and mental health has on money. The world has a long way to go, and the world of wealth a real difference. The 11FS team made a return to BlackRock WealthTech to speak to an array of experts about how they're changing the future of wealth. We spoke to Frank Cooper III, who's the global CMO of BlackRock, Noah Kerner from Acorns, Gonzalo Paradas, who's head of wealth at OpenBank, Mark Adams from Vice Media, and Amit Bambra, who's head of UK retirement for iShares in EMEA. But first up, to help set the scene, is friend of the show, Joe Parkin, who's head of iShares and Digital Wealth UK for BlackRock. Hi, and welcome to Fintech Insider. My name's Simon Taylor, and I'm joined uh, by Mr. Joe Parkin, who is head of UK sales at iShares and Aladdin um, and WealthTech distribution at BlackRock. So um, WealthTech 2019, that's the event we're at today. Um, talk to me about what is the, the WealthTech event and also why is it focusing on wealth and well-being? Yeah, so WealthTech was something we created off the side of the desk uh, at BlackRock four years ago. Um, and really the idea was to connect the established industry uh, with the kind of the ecosystem and, and, and the fintechs up and coming. Um, we didn't know how it was going to go. 150 people turned up. We had one very interesting individual by the name of Jason Bates, mm-hmm. who was working somewhere called Mondo yeah. uh, at the time as our keynote. Um, and really since then, it's kind of snowballed. So um, last year was still very much a, folk, a UK-focused event, but, but far bigger. Um, and then this year, we've expanded it out. And we've got people from 24 countries. Uh, we had to close registrations, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I think... You know, yes, it shows the success of the event, but it just shows how much focus there is right now um, on this. Um, and one of the last bastions of disruption, the wealth management industry, um, is really being kind of put under pressure. Um, and people are really, really taking this seriously. So give me a flavor for some of the speakers that you've got today. Yeah, so um, uh, we, Vice Media, um, uh, we've had back for the second year. Uh, so Vice last year talked all about engagement. And this year, what we said to them is, we'd really like you to focus on understanding about like, people's relationship with their money. Mm-hmm. Um, we then had our own, very own uh, BlackRock CMO, Frank Cooper, talking about whether wealth is just for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this afternoon, uh, we've got Rachel Lord, um, who's BlackRock CEO in Europe, uh, talking to Chris Hills. 
Hargreaves Lansdowne CEO, uh, one of the largest digital players in, in, in the world, actually. Um, <clears throat> and that's all about, you know, he's come from a disruptor to a incumbent. Um, and how does he actually kind of move from there? Yeah. Um, and then to top it all off, um, and I know a man that's close to your heart, um, Noah Kerma from the CEO of Acorns, I think one of the most exciting fintechs globally right now. He's going to talk about um, you know, engaging customers. Five million people have signed up to the Acorns app. They have a social impact, a social purpose. They have affinity. Um, and they've done things that actually very few people are managing wealth management, which is kind of get engagement um, and make it relevant to the people that are actually uh, Looking at it. Indeed. And and so they're right on that one of the classic examples of well-being and and kind of wealth uh, and the link between those two. So why the focus on that for, for wealth tech? Is it just because you were, you know, acorns are a part of the story, or is, is there more to it than that? No, I think so our core philosophy sits at the fact that there are, you know, there are three parts of your health and happiness, your physical, your mental and your financial. Um, and, you know, over the last 10 years, we've done an enormous amount around physical health, whether it's water, Fitbits, five a day to seven a day, gym membership, whatever it may be. Um, you know, BlackRock, we've got a global step challenge going on at the moment. Everyone's been provided with Fitbits and put into teams. Mm-hmm. Um, that is extraordinary when you think about it. Mental health, the second one, um, last couple of years, last three years, whether it's state-sponsored, corporate-sponsored, celebrity-endorsed, it's become okay to talk about how you're feeling, mm-hmm. what you're doing. I think that's most welcome. And then it comes to financial services or, or your financial health. Um, and what are we actually doing? Are we taking responsibility for the fact that people are living longer, mm-hmm. the state and the corporate are no longer providing for you in retirement? Are we actually... Um, providing people with the tools to actually take responsibility of their finances. And all the research we show, we see and we've done shows that money uh, and your financial health is your number one source of stress. It beats anything else quite significantly. If we can get that sorted, then I think we'll fix the other two as well. That's interesting, the, the interrelation between all three. So if people want to learn more about what you're doing with um, WealthTech and, and more about the event and uh, what you've got upcoming, where do people go to find out more about your stuff? Uh, iShares.com yeah. uh, or BlackRock.com uh, or look us up on LinkedIn. Awesome stuff. There's a lot going on from you guys. Brilliant. Thanks, Simon. Already, thank you very much to Joe. Next up, we have the wonderful Frank Cooper III, who's the CMO of BlackRock. But my goodness, he has an interesting background. All right, so I'm back here at the WealthTech 19 with BlackRock and iShares, and I'm joined by Frank Cooper. Thank you so much for joining us, Frank. You are the global CMO of BlackRock, and we're talking about wealth and well-being today. Frank, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on the show. I'm super excited to have you. Let's start with, you know, what does something like well-being, something really intangible like well-being mean in the context of brand and marketing for a financial services brand and for a financial services company? Like, how do you make well-being and money sort of fit together in a brand? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, first, the thing I'm always thinking about is is the truth of how people live their lives. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that most people don't care about brands. You know, yeah. most people have way too much content than, than, than they can actually consume. They have, they're, they're time starved, they're attention starved. And so if you start from that premise, um, you realize, and, and we're, we're, we're witnessing a world of product commoditization, right? Mm-hmm. So if you start from that premise, you realize in order to actually connect to people, you better get to some deeper value, some, some, something, something that is an unmet need that really is important to them. Yeah. And so if you look at that, one thing that actually cuts across almost everything is this idea of well-being. And, and that's well-formed in certain areas. If you think about the fitness movement, 
It's well-formed. We all yeah. get that. No one has an issue with that. Um, it moved to nutrition. Now people are thinking about nutrition and how that actually enhances their overall sense of well-being. Um, we're into mindfulness now. Mm -hmm. and Headspace and other apps. Uh, um, calm. And, and, and calm. And, and, and so, but the thing that's been left out is money, which is a remarkable thing to me because when you think about that, people's relationship with their money, how they earn it, is, is incredibly important. You're gonna spend a lot of time at work, right? So how do you earn your money and what does it mean to you and, and how does it make you feel? Um, how you spend it, how you save it, how you give it, how you invest it, that whole spectrum has an enormous effect on whether you feel stress, or anxiety, or a sense of fulfillment and happiness. And so I feel like the bridge for us and the, and the marketing opportunity is to make that connection just much more apparent. It's there, it's just that people don't talk about it. And the unlock for us as marketers is to make this part of the cultural conversation. Yeah. Wow, that's super powerful. Uh, I think there's this really interesting link between money and mental health. Uh, there's actually an organization in the UK called Money and Mental Health, uh, and they did a study where they noted that uh, people in debt are twice as likely to be suffering from depression, and people with depression are twice as likely to be in debt. Yeah. Um, so the, the relationship between the two is, is not uh, just something that people are throwing out there. There's empirical evidence for, for this being the case. Yes. So is there something we can do to help people on this journey, and how do you make that part of the conversation because like it, it sounds great but like brands have been uh, and financial services companies as you said have become commodities they've been distributors of commodity products yeah. but actually having being a service in somebody's life is about solving deeper problems for them and standing for something i think yeah. about when nike uh, started working with colin kaepernick that's yeah. the classic example of we stand for something 100 and, and so uh, you know i'd look at brands in the uk like some of the challenger banks people hold up monzo in the uk as being they stand for transparency they stand for something yeah yeah it, can an incumbent do that, and, and how? I think any incumbent that's going to last will have to do that. Mm. But I think there's some things that, that we all can do across the, the industry that, that will, will help bridge that gap. The number one is, is, is to get beyond the traditional notion of financial literacy. Mm -hmm. you, know, um, you start with financial literacy, you're basically saying, hey, you're financially illiterate, let me teach you. you, know, you <laughs> yeah. know, and, and, and it's a hard play, right? Because people are like, oh, I'm illiterate, all right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, crap. Uh, exactly, <laughs> I, I'm probably not gonna have that conversation. But even within that, the opportunity is so enormous for us to actually just to simplify it, make it more intuitive. You know, I was watching, before I got into the industry, the thing, one of the things that actually convinced me, and I watched a movie that was not even positive about the industry, but I learned something from it. It was The Big Short. Yes. And, and the great thing about The Big Short is they had these interstitials, right? You had Margot in the tub with the champagne explaining yeah. credit default swaps, or you had uh, Selena in the club uh, explaining a, com com a complex concept, or yeah. you had Anthony Bourdain in, 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 uh, uh, in the restaurant. And they were explaining all these financial concepts that I asked many of my friends were in, in, in investing, investment management before. So they explained this to me, and they explained it to me, and my eyes glossed over, almost passed out. Yeah, from, you just got so bored. But right. actually, it's possible, and it's an art to explain this stuff. It can it be is. done if you know how to create engaging content. 100%. And if you, if you have the intention of trying to get people to understand, mm -hmm. that's your core intention, then you can strip away the jargon you can make analogies that, that would help them understand um, if that's your intention. And so what's really interesting to me in uh, having worked in financial services for many years, I, I saw quite often bank ship products and where writing the T's and C's and the terms and conditions was about protecting the bank, not about engaging the customer. That's right. It, 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 that was an opportunity to build the brand and to um, true prove that you're being transparent and to kind of work with them. And we often say to our clients at, at 11FS, customers don't want to be educated, they want to be nudged. Like yes. the behavioral side of it. And, and that's a classic example on the yes. big show. 
Rachel. A hundred percent right. And, and I think that concept of nudging is so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, just small behavioral steps. That's much better than trying to give people absolute knowledge, right? Yes. Just, you give them a little bit of a reward for doing something positive. The whole rounding up concept, you know, we invested in the company Acorns yes. and, and, and I sit on that board. That concept of just nudging people a little bit and reinforcing it and then get, letting that kind of create momentum in their lives Super powerful. Starting at the beginning rather than trying to get them when they've already thought about money or thought about retirement, which is a subset. Like most people aren't thinking about that. So how do you get them to think about it? There was this horrible moment where it's like I had to sit down and think about me in 30 years time where that's no fun. But actually thinking about like if I make buy this coffee, it's doing something good. Like there's a little reward for that. 100%. And if, you have, if people have a three second attention span mm-hmm. and they want immediate gratification, for me, I start from that premise. That's what it is, so how do I deliver against that? So instead of talking about the future, how do you allow them to actually experience something now, even though it has a benefit for the future? So I'll frame it that way. So spending and rounding up, that actually creates that kind of feeling. But also, how do you then build the relationship on the back of that, that that can do more? Because I think Acorns have said like a good chunk of their customers have moved from just rounding up and saving into investments. 100%. And, it feeds and, on itself, I think. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, and so that, that creation of momentum is not just about saving more, it's about doing more with it and having that longer longer lifespan. Yeah. Uh, there was a great study by the, the CFA, the Chartered Financial Accountants, um, that said if you save between 25 and 35 uh, and you put away $100 a month, uh, by the time you're 35 to 45 uh, and you hadn't started saving, you'd need to be saving $1,000 to catch up with the $100 a month you could have been saving That's just right. because of how compounding works. That's right. But I say that to somebody who's 25 and they go, oh, that sounds scary. But if you say, here's this app, I'm just going to install that. And every time you buy coffee, it's going to save for you. There it is. That works in my three seconds. There it is. Exactly. So so how are you thinking about um, the BlackRock group and how it's going to engage with this? And and what advice are you giving to people to, to get started on this road? Yeah. So so we are trying to tell uh, human stories about how people are connecting wealth and well-being, mm-hmm. how they how they're looking at their relationship with money and at, at how that enhances their their sense of well-being. So we're doing things like 60 second documentaries that just tell the story. We're not there's no explanation. There's mm-hmm. no kind of articulation of the various premises that lead to that that connection. It's just telling people stories. And and what we know is that that the, the, the human brain is conditioned to find meaning and understanding of stories. So we start from stories before we actually start to, to try to teach anything specifically. The second thing we're doing is, is, and we believe that every company should have this, we've established as our own sense of purpose and our own <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of core reason that we exist. Why do you is, exist? Is, yeah, is, is really financial inclusion and financial well-being, helping more and more people experience financial well-being. Mm-hmm. And so that's starting to shape all the actions that, that, that we take. Um, but the third one is technology. Um, everything we're doing is moving toward that mobile device. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you're in that world, it's much more short form, visual, and intuitive. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to create content and interactions that are short form, visual, and, and intuitive. And that's our, our first step forward uh, toward kind of making that connection between wealth and well-being. Frank, super exciting stuff. Where can people find out more about what BlackRock and iShares is up to uh, on the marketing side? Just go to blackrock.com and, and uh, you know kind of stroll through that or uh, go to 60 Second Docs. Um, that's a great place to start because 60 Second Docs um, is, is, a, is a great platform to actually just to feel like you're entertained, but you're learning at the same time. Wow, incredible. Frank, thank you so much for being on Fintech Thank you, appreciate it. After we spoke to Frank, we spoke to Noah Kerner from Acorns. 
Hi, we're back on Fintech Insider at Wealth Tech 19, and I'm joined by the one and only Noah Kerner from Acons. Noah, how are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Really means a lot. Um, we are Fintech nerds at Fintech Insider, so having uh, Fintech royalty join us <laughs> means, <laughs> means an awful lot. Um, for people that um, live under a rock and haven't heard of Acons, do you want to just remind everybody who you guys are? Yeah. So we started basically helping people save and invest spare change. That's kind of the origin of Acorns. Um, the way it works, you sign up. It's, it's a U.S.-based product. You sign up. You link your bank account. You link your debit or credit cards. We track your spending, and every time you make a purchase, we round it up to the nearest dollar, put the spare change into a portfolio of ETFs for you. So that's sort of the simple way you get going, and then, and then you build from there. So you can add like an automated recurring investment, $5 a day, $35 a week. Um, you can make one-time investments. Mm -hmm. You can set up a retirement account and like, 60 seconds. Um, I think we actually made it made the easiest process for opening a retirement account in the U.S. Wow. Um, we select everything for you, so you don't you don't really need to do a lot of thinking. Um, obviously, remove the complexity from selecting portfolios or deciding what type of retirement account you want to um, open up. I, I it's like a joke, like Roth, traditional. I you know I I still don't know the difference between these accounts completely, and they're just pretty. Um, convoluted. So, so we started there. Um, then we help people earn extra money, spend smarter, grow their knowledge, and we're sort of evolving from there. It's, yeah. it's, uh, so what was the trigger to begin the company? Like what, what, what made you want to get involved in, in, in sort of creating something like that? It's just the idea that investing shouldn't be only for the wealthy, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and how do you break down the barriers? I and mean, it's like, it, you know, it's hard to understand. It's expensive. Where do you start? Where do you go? It was just, it, you know, and to build wealth for, the, for, for, for someone in America to, to, to really start to kind of break down the barrier between the haves and the have-nots and this whole thing, I mean, it just, you, you need to have access to it. it completely essential. Yeah. And then that story of, of evolving the business into something that's sort of every day uh, is a really interesting entry point because you know, it used to be you had to go talk to the wealth manager and you had to think about yourself in 30 years and start planning for retirement before you were even saving and investing. Yeah. So what was the insight that led to, like, we're going to focus on every day. We're just going to do these little roundups. How did that come about? Yeah, I think, you know, how do you make it really easy for people? Mm -hmm. And how do you build it into the background of life and, and, and not ask someone to change their lifestyle to start saving and investing? Um, I think the old paradigm was skip your coffee. Ours is you can have your coffee and, and add 50 cents, you know, into your investment account while you do it. It's so, the least possible friction. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and, and people are going to do what they do, you know. So how do you sort of inject yourself into someone's life and help them make good decisions? So talk numbers. Uh, how many customers, how many years old, all that good stuff? So we launched a little over four and a half years ago. Um, we've opened up five million accounts in the U.S. Wow. Um, we actually now have five product lines with over 400,000 customers each. Wow. So we've moved into a lot of different areas. Um, the vision for the company, as we, as we stated, is a financial wellness system that enables everyday Americans to save and invest every day. So, yeah. I, I love that idea that um, so many of the customers have moved you know, 400,000 in, in each of those five categories. One of the criticisms I often heard of kind of products that used Roundup as their like first thing that you use was yeah. that's a feature, not a product, but yeah. actually, it, it is the feature that gets your attention, and then there's a whole bunch of products that kind of sit behind that. So um, recently, you guys launched a debit card. How's that going? Um, yeah. And what was that experience like? Yeah, and sort of back to the vision. So everything we do, 
comes back to helping people save and invest money. So the idea for Acorn Spend, which is what we call our checking account debit card product, is the first um, the first debit card that saves and invests when you spend, mm-hmm. and that's a whole value proposition. Um, so we do real-time roundups, automatic contributions to your retirement account. We have local partners, retail partners across the country. When you shop with them using the card, mm. they invest 5% into your Acorns oh, wow. investment account. Um, it's like a different form of cash back. So instead of here's some cash back, like here's some investment back. Exactly. Uh, which yeah. grows for you because it's not just the 5% anymore. Uh, now it's the uh, the kind of 5% plus what the 5% could be in the future. Yeah, Exactly. It's um, exciting time. So um, I'm really curious to learn more about sort of the, the student angle. Um, why do you feel like the student side was so um, underserved? Because I know you guys have done some work in that space. Yeah, it's actually free for students. Yeah. Um, and it's basically, so you, you can't use Acorns until you're 18. Um, but, you know, the earlier you start, the better off you'll be. Um, so I think, you know, we say like start early, invest often and invest always. And that's like, you know, so if we can get someone going at 18 or 19 or 20, you just think about the way compounding works. Um, we actually, when you do this, so if you start at 18 and you do $5 a day to 65 at a basic kind of seven, eight percent interest rate, you'd save $1.4 million. That's incredible. If you start at birth, and this is a future product for us, at zero, doing the same thing, someone contributing to your account, doing $5 a day, you'd have $4.5 million by 65. $5 a day seems very doable. Like it's That's a coffee doable. a day, isn't it? Coffee a day. And, and, and is that worth it for your kid? Like, skip one coffee and all. Still have the coffee, but save that too. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the power of compounding is unbelievable. The the amount you need to save, you know, especially once you hit like the 25 to 35 gap, like the difference between those two is phenomenal. Um, and so do you think then that um, different generations have got different attitudes to money that have made this make sense? Or do you think people have always kind of been static and you've just kind of solved the problem, like trying to bring, you know, wealth is not just for the wealthy kind of thing. Is, yeah. is it kind of always been this way and you've just kind of tapped an unserved market? 2007, 2008 was significant because this generation went through that period and saw how bad things can get. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of anxiety around that. Um, so that sort of changed the mentality a little bit. I think that was, you know, that, that kind of jolt to the system mm-hmm. um, and got people thinking more about getting smart about their money, saving, investing. But but I think I think this could have worked, you know, in in the past, farther back and said, but although we started in mobile, and that's been a huge um, mm-hmm. benefit. We have a web app, but we started in mobile, and so I think that the the, the moment in time where that could be possible was significant. Too. Yeah, that, that distribution channel that you get uh, totally. makes life so much so much simpler. You, and you've got that real-time, intelligent, and contextual and engaging kind of experience that you didn't have to deal with legacy infrastructure as well. You yeah. weren't trying to integrate to 5,000 old systems and uh, 3 million existing customers. You could start with a blank sheet of paper, yeah. uh, which comes with its own challenges, I would imagine, along the way. But sort of, uh, did you find as you were doing this, though, like all the old guard was saying, you're doing this wrong this will never work or all of those kind of usual challenges and do you have any favorites in those we still get that yeah <laughs> i mean we still we so we get we get two funny challenges one is we charge a dollar a month um for the main account two dollars a month if you add a retirement account three dollars a month if you add the whole banking product uh-huh. um so sometimes you say a dollar a month like what if what if you only contribute you know, $50 a month and at the end of the year, it's $600 and isn't it $12 a percentage of assets, a high percentage of assets. And, um, and you're like, yeah, but that's really not, 
This is point. about getting right. This is about getting people to save and invest who've never done it before. Yeah. And there's a whole suite of products that come. But the funny, the the other thing we get is how do you make a business out of, out of a dollar a month? So on the one hand, you shouldn't charge a dollar a month, and on the other hand, you get the question of how do you make a business out of it? Yeah, because well, people are used to the percentages or the basis points, yeah. which like so you go and get people who are 45 years old who yeah. have an, an amount to invest, and you take small percentages of that, and yeah. then you can the math works. Yeah. But trying to use that math for people that have never invested before, of course, it doesn't work. Yeah. But actually, you're not thinking about how much money a customer could make you this year. Yeah. You're thinking about how much they can make you in five, 10, 15 yeah. years by helping them grow. Also try and explain basis points to the average person. Yes. So we actually, and this is funny, we used to be a dollar a month until 5,000 in assets and then 25 basis points. Yeah. Okay. We did away with the basis points. It's a dollar a month until you have a million dollars wow. invested in Acorns. But, I, but I, I'll tell you what's funny about it. So we did away with the 25 basis points and we had a bunch of customers think that we added 25, so now it's $1.25. Wow. So, so that's how little people understand what, all, yeah. right, all this stuff. It's like, what are basis point, 20, point, 20, is, you can't, know. we say never make people do math. <laughs> that's a good rule. As soon as you start making people do math, they're lost. Yeah. You've lost them. It's gone forever. So what does the future look like for, for what you're trying to do um, in terms of engaging customers? Because I think you guys are the case study in sort of get in in the lowest friction way and mm-hmm. grow them. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for other uh, ways to engage people other than just the, the, the roundup? And, and are, you, are you thinking about the, you know, sort of the, the thin end of the wedge? And what does the thicker end of the wedge start to look like as, as you grow? Yeah, it's like I said, it's a finance, we call it a financial wellness system. That's oh. sort of our name for a new kind of um, financial services product. Everything comes back to helping you save and invest. But the fact of the matter is how you spend, how you earn, how much debt you have, how much you know, how protected you are, all these things impact how, how well you save or invest. Absolutely. So, so our intention is to be in all those areas, but have everything sort of come back to this idea of like helping you save and invest as much money as possible. So that's the, that will always be the central purpose mm-hmm. of the product. And if you, you know, if you think about our brand, which is called Acorns, from tiny acorns and mighty oaks do grow, our whole brand and business and value proposition is about growth. Which is interesting because the, um, my co-founder Jason, who was incidentally one of the founders of uh, Monzo and, and Starling, often talks about how banking kind of became like bad landlords. Like they were trying to, it's almost like they were trying to catch you out and get you into debt and then charge you the fee. And, and, and customers don't trust that. And, and fundamentally, as much as the marketing says, you know, we're on your side, we're together, you know, we're, we're all one thing, we're looking out for you. The, the business model doesn't allow for that. So how, how have you thought about how you've aligned incentives and you can speak with authenticity about you know we're trying to help you grow yeah. and if you take a and how do you avoid them giving a lending product that you know might not be in somebody's interests but might be really profitable for you when does that tension start to come into it I, it, it doesn't for us I mean I I'm not as cynical about the whole system as, as some people are I think like you think about things like credit and overdraft protection and things I, 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 these things didn't come from a bad place mm. I think sometimes the way they end up getting executed or over time, you know, sort of end up becoming challenging. Like credit was a great thing, right? It's yeah. part of the American dream, people being able to borrow and things like this. Um, it gets out of hand, I think, at a certain point, And then you start to, I think a big company starts to get five, $10 billion revenue lines. And it's like, at that point, when you realize that maybe this isn't good for a large segment of the population, um, it's hard to back out of that. Yeah. So I, it's that you know, for us, like 
we everything goes through the filter of our mission, which is with benevolence and courage, we look after the financial best interest of the up and coming. So if if there's something that we would put out into the market that didn't live up to that mission, we would not do it. Wow. Um, when we think about a credit product, for instance, and we think a lot about it, like, well, you know, what do we do there? Um, like we haven't cracked that yet. And we won't, you know, we won't put something out into the market unless it lives up to our mission. That's just. But you're in no rush to, from the sounds of it. Like that's, you, you, you there's nobody standing next to you from, a, from an investor or a other point of view going, hey, you must do this. It's kind of like, no, no, keep doing what you're doing, keep growing. As long as I'm running the company and as long as we have the culture we have and the people and the mission, it's impo- it, there would be a revolt at the company if we started to go off. And by the way, you know, we, that's not to say we're perfect because we have, for instance, um, there, there are occasions where when you use Acorns, it actually causes an overdraft in mm-hmm. your bank account because of, like, of ACH lag times. Yes. So you may not have prepared for the fact that the, that the $10 is going to get pulled from your bank account sure. on this day and a bill hits your bank account. And so there was that, you know, that 24-hour period where a problem ended up and, and actually you get an overdraft. Yeah. So we, there, there are a couple parts of, of Acorns that we still need to really fix, I think, to become um, 100% you know, aligned with our own mission. But you've got to strive towards that each day, right? I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We didn't, we, didn't prepare, we, didn't, we didn't know that that would happen. <laughs> so that, that was never part of the plan. It was an unintended so. consequence, but you're still trying to fix them and, and yeah. resolve them. And yeah. so um, I'm, I'm curious as to, uh, A, you know, kind of what the future looks like, and B, how the well-being conversation kind of comes into that increasingly, because uh, the kind of subject of well-being, um, money and mental health is, is something now that really does feel like it's finding its time. Um, and the link between how somebody feels about where their money is going, where it's saving and where it's invested. Like, I don't know where most of my pension fund is invested. Mm. I don't know how much CO2 that's producing. Mm. I don't know if it's ethical or not. And we're seeing in the ESG movements beginning of that. Do you think that uh, there is something to be done uh, both on the kind of how your money impacts the world, but also how uh, your money impacts you and the relationship between those two. Yeah. The, the power of acorns is, and not every time, but a lot of the time when you return to the product, your account has grown because mm. you've contributed something in roundups or a recurring investment or, you, or a dividend or found money or, you know, what, all these so every time you come back is a little shot of dopamine. <laughs> and for people who haven't saved or invested before, don't have confidence and are trying to build self-esteem around sure. money, which is often a lot of shame um, surrounding it. Absolutely. It's really a helpful um, kind of conditioning mechanism. So that's, that, that really is the power of Acorns, which is why the kind of regular saving and investing and regular contributions and having you know, these different ways to grow your account is, is really um, Powerful as far as so today we have five portfolios that are just comprised of BlackRock and Vanguard ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I I'm a big believer in anything that 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 helps the world. So I think we will be looking at that kind of stuff. You know, trying to do it in a way where it's still we still um, uphold kind of modern portfolio theory, which is our absolutely. Um, but I'm sure there's ways to do that, and so a hundred percent, yeah. No, um, I want to be mindful of your time. I could speak to you forever. I think okay. you guys are a super exciting company, but where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, just in the App Store, uh, Android uh, Store, or, or the web app. is just acorns.com. Uh, download Acorns, yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for being on Fit Insider. Pleasure. 
Thank you, Noah from Acons. I thought that was a really interesting chat, getting into some of the mission and purpose around why Acons was built as much as anything. Uh, then we spoke to uh, Gonzalo Paradas, who is the head of wealth at OpenBank. Well, we're here uh, at the BlackRock iShares WealthTech event 2019, and I have the wonderful, uh, wonderful pleasure of being joined by uh, Gonzalo Pradas. Have I said your name right? Yes, thank you very much. It's My close pleasure. enough. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it is. It is. <laughs> and you're head of wealth at OpenBank. Yeah. Uh, how's life, sir? Look, uh, it's good. It's trying to to be uh, the digital speedboat of of Santander Group, and in regards to wealth, which is my my camp, uh, trying to define what is wealth, mm-hmm. what is wealth for. Um, does wealth start at any given point mm-hmm. in an assets uh, scale or not? Interesting. Um, and we're playing around that. Yeah. It's an interesting place to play. So tell me the origin story of Open Bank then. You mentioned Santander Group. How does it, yeah. how does it begin? Yeah. So Open Bank started um, as an online bank in Spain. An online bank uh, mid-90s where even in Spain, um, internet was not a given. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the bank started, um, let's say it, subsidizing the router, the modem, the internet connection oh, wow. for households uh, when you became a client of them. Um, Open Bank started like that. Open Bank started as the easy bank, the easy place to have my bankable assets, uh, to have a credit card, a debit card, a current account. Mm-hmm. And since very early, since uh, 1999, with uh, what could be be labeled as the experiment of an execution-only investments platform oh, wow. or a self-directed investments platform. So really ahead of the curve um, on a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and I believe, I wasn't there at that time, but I believe uh, from what I've been told that it was always thinking about what is the client needing or what are the clients telling us mm-hmm. that they need. Uh, what a crazy idea. <laughs> Well, imagine 1999, just uh, ahead of the of the 2001 tech bubble. Um, people, not many, but some people, very interested in brokerage, in, in investing in stocks, investing in ETFs, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, open bank, even after after the bubble got burst, started with an open architecture in investment funds. Uh, the first bank to have more than uh, uh, 500 uh, investment funds from over 30 asset managers. Wow. Which, in a jurisdiction like Spain, uh, was a rare thing, a rare element or experiment. Yeah, that that sort of consumer choice of where your investment goes is Mm -hmm. is something that you think of a more recent thing. Uh, but, But of course, for such a long time, and still for many through the brokerage world, like where my pension fund is, where my investments are, I don't really know where it's all gone. And actually being able to see that and have some choice over it is still relatively new. Uh, that, is a, that is a very, very smart way to, to, to put it, Simon. And in, I, have, I want to have that in one place, in one stop, and in the same place where I have my debit card, my credit card, where I can ask for a mortgage mm-hmm. uh, and where I get my payroll uh, yeah. put into. So it, it, was, it wasn't that different to what we're doing today. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing is that we can develop or elaborate a bit more that value proposition mm-hmm. based on two things, how the world has been moving since then, first, and second, 
um, how critical right now Open Bank is to the Santander Group. Interesting. And the transformation has been, I said that it was the online bank uh, that Santander bought uh, and only for Spain. Today is the digital bank, not online bank, yeah. uh, and we can elaborate a bit further on that, uh, of Santander Group. And working on not only being in Spain, not only serving out of Spain, but also, and I can say we've launched in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, and we're elaborating the value proposition a bit further. We're going to launch in the Netherlands, and we're going to launch in Portugal in the following months. And we're lo looking at other countries uh, where Santander Group is, is present, uh, mainly in Latin America. So is the same basis or the same foundations uh, but for a more global and uh, new project. So what, what does that look like uh, in terms of the story of A to B? Have you sort of worked with you know, what was built in the early 90s and, and evolved that? Or when you talk about the difference between an online bank and a digital bank, sort of to a customer, is it different? And, and beneath the glass, is it different as well? Yeah, it's very different. Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's substantially different. The concept is the one that remains in the wealth side, in the investment mm -hmm. side, very, uh, very similar, uh, open architecture, uh, substantial degrees of choice uh, by the client, uh, not putting fences or barriers or doors uh, in the digital world, because I believe that when, when a customer, when you or I uh, run into, into a barrier, we'll go backwards and go to another provider. So that concept remains to be the same. What we are trying to do is um, setting up a true digital platform, not proposition, but platform, and whatever the channels we have are based on that digital platform. Mm -hmm. This means that we have digital channels, of course, but we have physical channels. Yes. We have a web and an app, but we have a qualified call center, and we have a branch. One, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, giving all degrees of choice for the client to choose. And uh, maybe it's easy for you uh, to get into the app, but if you have a deep, qualified question, maybe the app and the web are not going to, to answer that, or you believe it won't answer that, so you want to give a call or go to the branch. So talk to me then about uh, where Open Bank is today in terms of uh, customer number, uh, ambition, and, and sort of, you know, you talked about wealth being at the front of it, so people discover you because they, they're looking at their investments, they're thinking about the future. Who's your customer and sort of how many of them are there and where are they? Our customer is a urban customer uh, from the main cities in Spain. Um, around 40 years of age, um, a customer that is looking for, a, for an easygoing bank, uh, for a bank that of course has uh, zero commissions or no commissions in, in, in many products where, where the bank can have no commissions, um, is, a, is a client today that is looking for um, a bank that can offer uh, him or her the same things like others, but in a different way. Transparent in regards to fees, uh, transparent in regards to information, and that can really trust that client, that bank. That's why we believe we have uh, a very, the large majority of our clients are what we call loyal clients or active clients. We have today 1.2 million clients in the total open bank. Wow. 
uh, that has been an, an increase uh, of a 50% over the last three years. Wow, uh, so, so doubled in the last three years. Uh, no, no, a 50% increase from my 800K okay. uh, to 1.2 million. Um, and in regards to, to the wealth side, um, so it is, of course, uh, the minority of clients that are using the, 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 the wealth uh, platform because, of course, the large majority of clients uh, have a debit account, a current account, uh, but do not hold investments, and we're trying to get them on board. So what does money mean to somebody of that age? They're in their 40s, they're looking to, th- you know, they're, they've, have they started to think about retirement? And you know, where are they at in their lives? And, and how does your product help them kind of get to where they're needing to go? What challenges do your customers call up and deal with every day? So being very blunt, um, I believe, and, and, and generalizing, I believe they haven't thought about retirement, many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we see, we have defined three personas um, from from the wealth uh, division layer. One that is the informed investor, and that guy is self-directed. That guy knows about investments, has the knowledge, um, and does it not for a living, but sort of a hobby. Of course, thinking about retirement, of course, thinking about any goals that he, she may have. Uh, but the other two personas are personas that or had a bit of experience with ex- with investments. We call it that second one, the cautious saver. Uh-huh. Uh, but a lot of experience with deposits, a lot of experience with uh, savings accounts. Yes. Uh, things that we believe from an investment side that are inefficient, but that they feel comfortable with. Yes. Okay. And the third one is uh, bored out by banks doesn't like banks. But you know what? Everybody has a bank. (laughs) Everybody has a relationship with a bank. So for us, that spot is also very meaningful. And these two last personas, we believe that they haven't thought much about retirement. Interesting. And what is more important, they don't believe that their savings should be optimized. Interesting. And that their savings today are losing money every single day. Yes, absolutely. They don't, we believe, they don't know. Yeah, so most people think, oh, I'm saving money, and therefore that's a good thing, whereas actually the money I'm putting aside is actually, I'm going backwards. It's fantastic to save money, uh, but, but you can put it below the mattress, and uh, you are saving money uh, if, if uh, God never wants, but if, if a fire approached your, your house, then, then you're... Uh, out of money, but uh, this is the, the same thing. You, you, you are putting money uh, that what it makes is lose money every single day. You know, it's funny, my mum works in healthcare for the elderly, and yeah. uh, she, one of her observations, she does physio, and one of the thing, her observations is you wouldn't believe the amount of over 70s that have cash under the mattress. Uh, it, it's extremely common that people just don't know what to do with banks. Uh, they feel sort of overwhelmed by digital. They feel like digital's not approachable, and they just want that person. And increasingly in, in communities that are, that are outside of the urban centres, people don't have have that human relationship anymore. So is there a generation here for whom digital can make a real difference and we can become more accessible? But, and uh, Let me elaborate on this because I don't think uh, digital helps, mm. but what is that really helps? Because those that people had the bank teller or the yeah. advisor at the bank in whatever the town in the countryside, they would go there and what is that that guy was telling them? Save, but not invest. 
because that guy didn't have the knowledge yeah. to tell them, to advise them on how to invest, to invest for them on behalf of them. So today, the same can happen. It doesn't matter if it's digital or not digital. It doesn't matter if it's a, a branch or, 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 or an app. What you have to put in front of them is a compelling, comprehensive, easy to understand, investments platform. And I don't really care that much, and, and of course I'll elaborate on digital, but that much if the guy goes to a branch, calls the call, uh, the call center, or goes into the web or the app, is the platform that has to be digital. I do not need to have uh, a trained advisor in front of me because I know that the bank is putting everything in front of him to tell me how to invest. So the platform is enabling the human. There's this interesting psychology of everybody has a number at which they don't feel confident just pushing a button. They don't trust the machine. They need a human to say that's okay. But funnily enough, the human may be saying okay because the machine said it's okay to say okay. But the, but the customer still feels better because somebody from that organization said, yes, you've done everything right. Yes, but, but what, I, what, I, what, I, what I see is that something that is that needs to be customizable for every client, you make it scalable mm -hmm. by having a digital platform. Oh, completely. So you cannot, as a human, if you're Robocop or Terminator, you can, but, but if not, how can you advise 1,000 clients? Yeah, you're never gonna scale. You can't, but because we're humans, we, we, we have uh, two arms, two legs. Now, if I have a digital platform that aids me in that advice, then I can. Yeah. Then I can, I do not have to remember the last meeting I had with you three months ago because I have the storytelling here. Mm -hmm. I do not need to do the math of your performance, your return year to date, because I have it in front of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I do not need to get a printout of your asset allocation because I have it here. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's what I mean. Rather than, than having yes, like a parrot that says yes to everything that is in the digital platform and tells you, no, we are aiding him or her <clears throat> to talk to you in a more professional way. Interesting stuff. So how do you see the future of Open Bank? What comes next for you guys? International uh, expansion, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, and on the wealth side, uh, we have a rover advisor since just um, seven, eight months ago, uh, since late September uh, last year. So we have to, to develop and elaborate on that. Uh, we are moving into different uh, investment styles and, and theses to try and, again, make it customizable and, and have uh, more degrees of choice for, for clients. And as a longer term uh, horizon on the wealth front is um, trying to develop a true recurring advice digital platform. Sounds very exciting. If people want to find out more about OpenBank, where can they go? OpenBank.es, OpenBank.de, uh, and uh, in some weeks, OpenBank.nl and PT. <laughs> exciting times. Thank you very much for being on Fintech Insider. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you very much, Gonzalo. And we spoke to Mark Adams from Vice Media about our relationship with money and how that's changing. Chris, so I'm here with Mark Adams from Vice Media. Mark, how are you doing, mate? Good, thank you. Yeah, really, really well. Just came off stage, so yeah. it's quite intense. That was the intense bit over. This is yeah. the conversation. You've got to water your jackets off, you're fine. Um, so what do you do at Vice? I, am a, I had a company and I sold it to Vice and I'm pretty certain that they wanted the 
you know, the revenues and the clients. And I'm not 100% sure they wanted me. Yeah, so they were stuck like, with you now. Yeah, and they were like, so what are you going to do when you uh, become? So I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd kind of been the chief digital officer uh, 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 before this of William Morris Endeavor, which is the biggest talent agency in the world. Uh-huh. So I was like, I want to be the chief digital officer. They were like, well, it's a digital media company. So that basically makes you the CEO. So think of it as something else. I was like, okay, what about chief innovation officer? Yeah. So I gave myself the title. No one knows what it is. My mum and dad still think I fixed computers. And, <laughs> and that's it. So that's great. <laughs> Fixing computers. Yes, being tech support for mum and dad. Absolutely. It, yeah. it just never goes away. But at some point it will happen where the younger generation becomes your tech support oh, it's already happened yeah it's happening absolutely um so talk to me about uh, financial services and money and where does all that come into this story of, of vice media what have you been doing around the subject of money and wealth and investments it's an interesting uh, situation to be in the, the world of digital media right now right and it's um you know i think that like, my first observation getting on the inside advice was we need quickly to diversify away from you know having to be reliant on Facebook and Google and the crack of people, you know, brands necessarily buying ads as the only solution to their business channels. The only revenue model was ad supported. Exactly. And so it was like, you know, generally, you know, know, and I think Vice was the first company really of all of them to say, what's the model beyond this model that isn't necessarily a paywall? So I think what we've done is we've, we've launched, you know, I think we've done, you know, quite a stellar amount of work in a short amount of time, which is we now have five lines of business when we only had one before. Mm -hmm. So those lines of business are, you know, we went into hard news, Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone, we were, we were very much had an investigative journalistic point of view anyway. Yeah, and everyone yeah. knew us for our investigative documentaries. And we were like, well, that's a skill. You know, we, we, there's a methodology there that's very unique to us. And, you know, kind of um, a, a network that, that, you know, has allowed us to get these incredible stories that no one's ever got. What if we were to apply all that to like, you know, the way that news is in, you know, the way that people think about news in terms of the, the New York Times, The Guardian, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so we did. And uh, that then ended up on HBO. So let's bring this into the BlackRock Wealth Tech event. Yeah. What, what is it you were telling the audience today and, and, and what is it about financial services and wealth that uh, you think is, is changing from a, from a creative standpoint, from a way we communicate and think about money? I think the kind of essence of the message today was, look, essentially you've got, you've got two options right now if you're trying to build a brand. Like, you know, and, and this isn't just a marketing function. This is a, it doesn't matter if you're creating a product, if you're trying to, you know, if you're a salesperson, if you've got a service. The bottom line of it is the era of um, obsessing about what it is that you do better than everyone else, turning that into your pitch and thinking about how you can attract people's attention to deliver that pitch is over. Uh. So you basically have a new uh, enemy, which is that, um, you know, time and attention is scarce, right? Yeah. So like when Netflix, you know, we think we're pretty good at making content, right? And, and, and I think we are, right? And we're partnering with the likes of Netflix, but you know, those guys spent 8 billion on content last year, right? Like they're competing by their own volition and by their own admission, they say that their biggest competition is, is sleep. Right? And now <laughs> you've got Disney Plus going into the game, right? So you start realizing like, you know, if you think that, you know, your well-crafted pitch is going to, you know, resonate because you can grab someone's attention and aggregate and harvest that attention enough with enough time to get resonant, it's not going to work, right? So, and I think this, this, this podcast and the success of this podcast is a, is a good example of the alternative model. Mm-hmm. So the alternative model is know your audience, break down these broad demographic definitions of an audience to a much more nuanced, emotionally resonant data set. So it's like, you know, we've just met and, you know, I, I, 
it's difficult to, 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 to think about what I can say that you would be like, aha, uh-huh, I'm resonating, uh-huh. right? But as soon as I realize you love Game of Thrones or we both love electronic music Boom. or whatever it is, right? Off we go. Yeah. And it's hard to stop that conversation. Yeah. So what you realize is there's, you know, you've got one opportunity which is, has no momentum and the other one has a lot of momentum. And that's the difference in an exponential and a linear form of communication. I think that emotional resonance in how you communicate is something that financial services companies have always struggled with. And if you look at a lot of their marketing, it's very sort of comforting. We're on your side. We're with you together. We've been around for a long time. Don't worry. It's stable. Yeah. Uh, and actually, like that, that sort of lacks emotional resonance at at all. And I think actually some of the challenger brands in financial services have got that emotional resonance. Like it didn't used to be a requirement that you loved your bank or you felt good about money, yeah. but actually what if it was? And I think that's where things get exciting. And that's a status thing, right? So here's the, here's the bottom line is like, like you're talking about wealth, like wealth among, amongst many other things, it has, has a lot to do with status around the table. So mm-hmm. if you're sitting around and you start getting your cards out to pay, it matters if you're HSBC premium or advanced or not. Right? And it matters whether, and by the way, I have a gripe with HPC because it took me a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. But, and, yeah. but, you know, but like it matters whether you're, you're, Amer- you're Amex black or you're, you know, it, it maybe matters more to men, right? But, like, but, but think, it's true, there's a status to it. But I think also the, the um, ethical is the new luxury in making an Absolutely. ethical. Absolutely. And, and if, uh, if I can make an ethical statement about my financial services choice, about my investment choices, then I end up in this completely different conversation. It was, I couldn't agree more. It was like the best car in the world was whatever it was, let's say. Or the, let's say the, mo- the most democratically available best car in the world was, say, uh, I'm just going to use an example. Aston Martin is my favorite mm-hmm. car, right? But Tesla comes along and it does what Aston Martins do, maybe not even as well, but it's also ethically sound. Yeah. Suddenly you've changed the parameters of status. So the guy that used to solidly have the best car in the room, might not have the best car in the room now according to a new criteria and a new a kind of a new battlefield that's opened up about what the definition of that status actually is. There's another conversation for another day about the banking battlefield. Mark, thank you very much for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> thank you. And of course, we spoke to Amit Bambro, who was the head of UK retirement for iShares in EMEA. And we're back here at Wealth Tech, and I'm joined by Armit Bambra, who is head of UK retirement for iShares in EMEA. How are you doing? I'm very well, Simon. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Um, can we digitize retirement? It's a huge question, um, and independently, they're both humongous areas. What we do know for sure today is that we've got a big retirement challenge on our hands, um, and that is not just something that's confined to the borders of the UK. It's a global challenge. People are living longer, and their lives are becoming much more complex. Uh, On top of that, we think that it's compounded by three things right now. Um, Interest rates are low, Mm -hmm. and they're probably going to stay low for some time, and so saving is hard. Um, People are living longer, um, much longer. And actually, if you think about retiring at 60 or 65, you've almost got as much time in retirement as you probably spent working, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a, bit of a funny thought. Really, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so you know, how do you deal with that? Um, and then people just continue to be disengaged. And so when you package all of those challenges together and you start thinking about the role that digital or technology might play, um, it, you know, it is going to play an important role. Um, we started to see the green shoots of it already. We've started to see some uh, technologies and digital um, tools coming in to solve specific challenges around things like um, legacy pots, for example. Mm-hmm. So an individual might have 11 jobs in their career and they'll mm-hmm. have 11 separate pots. And it's very, very hard to understand where you are 
at any one point in time if you don't have sight of that. Yeah. So we've seen Pension B, for example, uh, solve for that challenge. Um, but the picture's a lot bigger than that. So right now we're seeing point-to-point -point solves using a digital uh, with some of these retirement challenges, but it hasn't really been addressed in totality. So, so we're start seeing the start, but my expectation is that it is going to grow significantly. What does um, retirement look like now and, and people heading into retirement and, and their anxieties? And what could it look like if we, if we grasped, grasped it correctly? Um, so it, it, it looks quite different intergenerationally. Mm. So if I think about my dad or my mum, they, they don't really, you know, they, they've got defined benefit pots. Um, they know that they're going to be fairly comfortable in retirement. Um, their state pension is already paying. Um, and we, you know, they paid off their mortgage because their house prices were much lower. And mm. so for them, when I talk to them about their retirement, uh, their main concern is how I'm going to be <laughs> rather than how they're going to be. Interesting. And, and that's great because they know, because I'm always harking on about it to them, that I'm going to be living for longer. I don't have a defined benefit pension scheme. I have a defined contribution pension scheme. Um, I've worked for two companies and my pot is over there somewhere. Uh, and and my children will live much longer and my parents will live longer. And so I might have dependence from two dimensions, mm -hmm. which is also quite unusual. Uh, so again, to go back to your question, which was what might digitization look like? I need something as an individual which helps me to make good decisions every single day mm -hmm. because retirement isn't just pensions retirement actually is it's not db it's not dc it's not pensions it's not uh, auto enrollment or sips what it is it's the sum of every single financial decision you make on a day-to-day -day basis that will define how much money you have available to you in retirement and where digital could play a really important role is to help people to make better decisions on an ongoing basis to prioritize whether to pay off the credit card or the mortgage uh, to prioritize whether to save in an ISA or maybe it's a LISA or whatever it is. Like all of those decisions, all of those complexities, that's where the digital lens needs to help individuals make better day-to-day -day decisions. It's, it's, it's really compelling to me that uh, the parents are worried not for themselves in retirement, but for, but for their children. Uh, but then that sort of everyday behavioral change isn't something you do sort of meeting with somebody once a year and reviewing your portfolio. It's It's got to be something different. So how do you engage somebody to think about retirement? There's a study I saw that suggested the way people think about uh, them at sort of retirement age is like thinking about another person. They can't relate to it as if it's themselves in the future. It's just, it's so far away they can't comprehend it. So what is, how do you do that? Do you need to bring it into the everyday and, and how? It's a great question and it's not an easy answer. Um, it's a really, really hard thing. Um, we, to, to comment on where we are today, we have people, as you say, who meet with an, who maybe meet with an advisor, maybe don't even have an advisor. Because, Most people you know, don't, yeah. But they don't trust the system. Maybe that's part of the decision there. Um, but it needs to be integrated into day-to-day -day things. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm thinking about microfinance and acorns and roll-ups and, and those kind of technologies that could play a role. Um, it needs to be effortless. And so the frictional behavioral decisions that go into logging into your online SIP and doing this and changing your investments and you know what, it's, it, you know, auto-enrollment takes care of it to some degree, mm -hmm. uh, but for some individuals, auto-enrollment won't go far enough to actually give them the type of retirement that they want and need. Um, and so microfinance is one. Um, integrating it into um, 
other areas of technology, whether it's, you know, ordering food or nudges or Ubers or, or it needs to be latched into things we're already doing rather than being something on its own. So it's moving from that commodity product to that end-to-end -end financial service. Like it kind of, it's not the thing that you buy and you see once a year. It's kind of integrated into that end-to-end -end journey that yes. the classic with, with the Uber example you gave there is, I don't think, oh my goodness, um, my phone's API is calling the API of the driver's phone, which has been combined together and plotted on the Google Maps API, which is displaying through my device screen so that a car can find me more Precisely. easily. So that then the Braintree API can take payment without me using cash. Yeah. I think, God, that was easy. And, and, and again, if I, if I had asked you to order a cab and have to do all those manual processes yourself, would you do that or would you just get in a black cab? Mm -hmm. You might just get in a black cab. Absolutely. You know, and the black cab in this context is your one-year advice um, and the Uber is the place we're going. Or a regular savings account, which in a low interest rate environment, as you mentioned, is actually not standing still. It's moving backwards in real terms because of inflation, which most people don't understand. They don't understand. Um, and real returns versus just returns are, you know, outside of interest are, if you're losing 2% per annum, I mean, markets right now are returning 4, 5 or 6% if you're doing pretty well, mm -hmm. the real return there is, is 3%. And so, you know, the other part of this is getting people to engage with this earlier um, and the effect that compounding can have and help people with. So there aren't very many free things in life, mm -hmm. um, but compounding is probably the most powerful thing in mathematics and finance. Um, and getting people to start saving at an earlier age just makes the journey significantly easier. Compounding is one of those things they should teach in schools. Like once you get it, you're like, oh my God, why did nobody explain this to me sooner? Exactly. And it's uh, one of those like secrets to life. If you, if you start Really, I mean, this is the thing, right? People believe there is a belief um, in our society today, which is I can't really afford to start saving for my retirement or my long term until I've sorted everything else out. Yeah. And everything else out doesn't take two minutes to fix. These are things like paying your mortgage, paying your credit cards, yeah. sending your kids to the school trips and all of these day-to-day -day things. People don't feel enabled to save whilst all of this stuff is happening. Instead, what they do is they say, Oh, let me get my mortgage in a decent place. The kids will go off. Um, let me pay my credit cards down and then I can start saving. By which point it's ended up being the age of 40. You've missed out on two decades of compounding yeah. and you're having to work even harder to get to the point you want to get to in terms of that retirement pot you're aspiring to achieve. Yeah, you've missed out a whole bunch of times. So the micro savings is one way in, building it into our everyday finance. Do you think open banking has a role to play in there? Like can can retirement be part of the conversation in day-to-day -day banking that's outside of a specific app? It, 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 it could be. Um, and it's, there's a question mark over the role that it has to play in this in, in this world. Um, but having better information about people and having better uh, information about the pinch points in an individual's life, um, there is no doubt that that can help to bring better and more bespoke retirement type solutions to individuals. And so the scene is set, uh, but it's yet to kind of be walked into. Exciting times. Uh, if people want to find out more about what you're doing with retirement and uh, iShares, where do they go? Um, they come through to me at BlackRock, uh, message me on LinkedIn or wherever. Fantastic. Thank you very much for being on Fintech Insider. Brilliant. Thank you. Good stuff. Nice and Simon.
Alrighty, thank you very much, Amit. As you can see, retirement is an issue uh, across the age spectrum and how we think about money is really changing. I think if you go back to Joe's point at the beginning, that link between physical health, uh, mental health, and financial health and wellness is really, really at the forefront now. So how are you thinking about money? Be sure to get in touch with us at podcast at 11fs.com or reach out to me, simon at 11fs.com if you're seeing anything interesting along those lines. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. If you've already subscribed, well, why not leave us a review? We love, love, love reading those reviews. Thank you so much to the entire BlackRock team for having us over at WealthTech, and thank you to our amazing guests. I'm sure you'll agree. There were some incredible guests and some incredible insights there. If, of course, you want more wealth management content goodness, you can listen to episodes 270, 196, 173, 170, and 167. Lastly, of course, thank you so much to our production team, producer Laura, Petra, and Hannah, and of course, editors Michael and Alex. Speak soon.